0: Welcome to season three of the Irish Baptist College podcast. I'm your host, Davy Ellison, I'm the director of training at the college, and I'm excited to bring you this brand new season of podcast episodes. Recently we invited you, our listeners, to ask us anything, and you did. Uh, this season is all about answering those questions, uh, and the hope is that through these episodes you might uh, find some helpful answers to your questions. More importantly, however, we hope that uh, rather than simply offering answers, we might also see and learn how to think biblically and reason logically. Uh, Today's guest is our New Testament tutor, uh, Dr. Peter Firth, and hopefully, uh, Peter, you're going to help us with that as we wrestle with some interesting questions Mm -hmm. um, over the course of the next uh, 20 minutes or so. But before we dig in, um, I want to thank you for your time uh, this afternoon uh, and joining us. And uh, before we start with any difficult questions, uh, I'm just going to ask, how has life been? Have you been up to anything interesting or exciting um, in the recent uh, weeks or days?
1: Yeah, Davy, nice to be uh, back with you. Um, Life has been busy and hectic as well, Um, probably the most outstanding thing in the last week or so was um, collecting an award along with my wife for my daughter Bethany who's a Paralympic swimmer and uh, she was nominated um, sports personality of the year at the North Down and Ards Borough Council so that was very nice very nice hotel too nice meal and very nice company as well interesting company a whole
0: array of sports personalities represented at that yeah excellent excellent well, uh, you've not given us any answers, but you've incited a lot of jealousy, probably. Ah. So <laughs> that's great. Um, so congratulations to to you and the family, and uh, exciting to be uh, picking up some awards. So uh, great, yeah. excellent. Congratulations to Bethany on that. Um. So let's dig into the questions. First couple of questions um are the same questions for all of our guests on this uh, season of the podcast. Uh, so the first one is uh, about. Influences on your academic life and works. So, so who have been the greatest influences um on your academic work, Peter?
1: Yeah, it's it's a great question uh, to ask. And when I was reflecting, just upon the question, um, uh, first thing that really came to mind uh, was former staff members of IBC. I am a graduate of IBC, um, and. As an undergraduate, I was particularly impressed just by the enthusiasm, knowledge and understanding of the word of God that the lecturers had. Mm. And um, that certainly inspired me and they encouraged me to go further in academic study. Uh, I was able to do my PhD studies under Dr. Hamilton Moore, who was the principal of the college back then and uh, he's very generous in his comments and in his time as well. Very helpful in just guiding me aright through that whole process. Um, and then outside of that, um, I am um, very keen on the works of John Stott of All Souls Church, Langham Place in London. Mm. Um, no longer with us, of course, but uh, just greatly impressed by his preaching as well as his teaching and his writing, and just that razor-sharp mind that he had, yeah. uh, along with that clear uh, ability to communicate God's Word in a very simple and concise way. Mm. Um, more recently, I think guys like Tom Schreiner uh, of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary would stand out for me, yeah. and also uh, Douglas Moo, um as well uh, for me both scholars are uh really models i think of what good scholarship uh, should be uh, just impressed by their methodical approach to the way that they handle the word of god handle issues engage with the, the various debates mm. and these men uh, for me show enormous amount of respect for other scholars, particularly scholars that they disagree with. Yeah. They're men who uh, display tremendous balance in their approach and in their assessment of different positions, different views. Um, they give credit where, where credit is due. They, I think they're very fair and honest often in their assessment and evaluation. And of course, very insightful and helpful in what they write. And uh, I've listened quite a bit to Tom Schreiner over the years, um, uh, listened to him preach as mm. well as teach, and just greatly impressed with his humility. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's a very seasoned scholar, world-class, uh, scholar um, a world class scholar, but a very humble man mm. and honest enough to say that. On certain points, I'm still not quite sure about that, (laughs) and I could be wrong, (laughs) and uh, that certainly uh, impresses me. Uh, The other end, I think, of the theological spectrum would be someone like Gordon Fee, um, who uh, more recently uh, taught at Regents College there in Vancouver. He's authored a lot of books, a world-class scholar too, Mm. but some years ago uh, I came across him and listened to him in London, doing a series of talks on Galatians, and uh, just an incredible uh, scholar. I think three things stood out for me about him on that occasion. One was just the skillful way that he handled uh, the text. Uh, Secondly, his enormous love for God. Mm. That came across very powerfully. And then the third thing, uh, and we've already touched on this, um, his uh, deep humility mm. uh, before God, and the text that came to my mind uh, at that particular time is a, it's a well-known text, uh, Luke ten, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, mm. and. You know, just looking at someone like Faye and these other scholars that I've mentioned, uh, using their minds um, for the glory of God, loving God with all their minds, loving God with all their hearts, soul and and strength. And uh, Faye particularly impressed me with his passion. As the lectures went on, (laughs) <laughs> you could see the passion building and it was just incredible and everyone just felt enormously uplifted and and helped and given a, a, a greater sense of god's greatness glory and a greater awareness of his grace so uh, these are just some of the um scholars who have had uh, an enormous, I think, impression upon me and I'm very grateful to God for each and every one of them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking as a student who sat through some of your classes, Peter, I think uh, we can see those influences in you. I think especially of fees' passion, uh, I think we see that um, in you a little bit as well as you're teaching that passion um, oozes out of you. But uh, really interesting to hear that. And I think Quite striking that you've noted a number of scholars who have great humility or demonstrate great humility and often academia and humility are two things <laughs> that don't always go together. Or at least we don't often pair them together that's right. in our yeah.
1: minds, do we? Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Uh, but very, very important too. Yeah, that, uh, you know, in all that we say and do, we bring honor to almighty God.
0: For sure. For sure. And that leads us very nicely into uh, our next question, Uh, and that is, do you have any tips on how to maintain academic rigor and white hot devotion to God? So how do we keep this balance where we are serving God with our minds, um, but it doesn't come a merely cerebral thing, that it is also a relationship with our Savior? Um, So any tips or advice on how we balance that and maintain those two things? Well, I think a lot could be said about this particular question.
1: And I think it raises a difficulty that many um, theological students face of maintaining a a close and fruitful relationship with God while studying uh, aspects of theology at maybe a a deep level. And sometimes Mm -hmm. uh, maybe the subject material can be maybe a little dry or removed from everyday life or is maybe challenging some uh, closely held beliefs. Uh, For me, I think above all, the the key message is this, to to guard your heart, Mm -hmm. guard your heart, and ensure that you're growing in your relationship uh, with God. And just in reflecting on this, uh, my mind immediately went back to a passage such as John 21, which you'll be familiar with, Uh, where Jesus appears to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee uh, following the resurrection. And Peter is there and they've gone out fishing, uh, but they've caught nothing. Jesus says, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And of course they do. Uh, Later on, uh, they have breakfast with Jesus and you move to this uh, fascinating scene uh, where you have Jesus and Peter and the dialogue uh, between them. And um, Jesus uh, says to Peter, you know, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says that three times. He also talks about feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And that threefold question that Jesus asks, uh, Peter just mirrors that threefold denial of Peter that had taken Mm -hmm. place earlier. But for me, uh, one of the things that stands out in that is the, the order of the words. Um, Jesus, first of all, um, focuses on, on Peter's heart, on his love for him. Mm. Uh, do you love me? Uh, do you love me? Um, and uh, for me, it reminds me that um, service is, is to flow out of our out of a deep love for God yeah. and whether that's uh, studying uh, theology and uh, writing papers and essays and so on or preaching it's all got to come out of that uh, out of a heart filled with, with love for God so um, the key thing I think is to, to guard your heart and I think many things can assault your heart as a Christian so yeah you've got to put the books aside and and, and take time Uh, make this an intentional thing Uh, it'll require discipline Mm. setting aside time to meet with God on a regular basis listening to his voice through his word and responding to that voice in prayer and I mean there are lots of excellent resources out there to to help us I like to use, uh, just uh, in recent times, uh, the Journey Through series by Daily Bread uh, publications, uh, which I can sort of do within about half an hour each day. Mm. Um, in the morning, I tend to be more a morning person. There are no distractions. Uh, my mind is usually fairly sharp at that particular point, And I generally feel refreshed after a reasonable uh, night's sleep. But also just in maintaining that closeness with God, there's the disciplines of just church attendance, fellowshipping with other believers, um, participating in worship as well. Just looking at the question again um, of maintaining that academic rigour and white-hot devotion to uh, God, I thought about that expression there, white-hot devotion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I find, and I think others would concur with this, life is really a series of peaks and troughs, highs and lows. <laughs> and, you know, your emotions do go yeah. up and down. And where our, our spiritual state is affected uh, by uh, many things. Mm. And I think we have to be realistic about uh, the Christian life and the devotional life. As well. There are times when you're maybe dragging yourself (laughs) to the place of uh, reading God's word and and praying. But then we do like to speak of it as a discipline. Mm. And um, it's important uh, that we do that just in the same way that, you know, there are occasions when I don't always feel like eating or drinking, but I know I need to do these things. These things are uh, good for me. Mm-hmm. and um so that's 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 another aspect and I think too what i found over the years as well is when when lecturing or, or speaking certainly here in, in in the college um my practice is to begin the session just with a, a a brief word of prayer asking that God would just guide my thinking and guide my speaking And guide the the discussion in the class as well so that in all things he might be honoured and glorified and that people would come away from that experience, hopefully with with a a clearer picture in their mind of who God is and what he's doing today. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it will have helped to address some questions that students um, have.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's it's helpful there to push back a little bit in the question and measure our expectations because life can't be uh, smooth sailing all the time um, and, that, and that's really helpful. I, I think also just to, to realize that academic rigor and true devotion to God we, we do treat them as things that are opposites, but they don't necessarily need to be. And um, you, you've mentioned that already and some of the key influences in, in your academic life and some of the things that you've mentioned there uh, already. Um, and, and maybe I can throw uh, another resource in here um, along those lines. And that's a book by John Piper and Don Carson uh, entitled The Pastor as Scholar and the scholar as pastor. Uh, I think there's uh, two lectures as well online um, along these um, thoughts, but they they reiterate a lot of what you've said. And I think it's helpful to see those two things as uh, two sides of the one coin. And uh, what we do in the academic sphere, to be at its best, like those scholars you've mentioned already, should be feeding into the, the church sphere. And how we act and behave in the church sphere should be informed by... A serious consideration of God's word and and doing that well and properly. So, yeah,
1: and I mean in line with what you're saying there, um, uh, some time ago, um, Tom Schreiner's wife was in a, a very serious accident. Thankfully, uh, she came through that, and is a lot better. But um, on one occasion, he was being asked the question, you know, how are you doing, Tom? In the midst of this, what's helping you to get through? and um he, he replied good theology
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah whenever the feelings aren't quite there sometimes it takes what you what you know or you've learned of god to, exactly. to trust him in that exactly yeah well we're going to move on peter to one of our uh, juicier questions mm. that, that came in uh, we invited you to ask us anything and uh, the thing that you've asked us about is eschatology um so I uh, I think um, perhaps this question is a little bit tongue in cheek because the question is, uh, what is the one true interpretation of the end times? Um, so you may wish to uh, stick your flag somewhere, Peter, and uh, claim uh, what is uh, right. But if you don't want to do that, maybe you can just give us some principles to think about this. I, I think um, my impression has been in generations gone by, this was something that was debated with a lot more ferocity than it is today. Um, In some ways that was unhelpful, in other ways I think that was good because I think maybe we've moved away from thinking about the return of Christ and all that will come with that. Um. Perhaps my reading of of the contemporary uh, situation is is wrong, but um, maybe you can just help us think through that. How do we? It's undoubtedly a complicated picture, Um, and so how do we put that uh, and piece that together? Um, And I suppose remain friends with those who who see things a little differently from us.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And when I think back to uh, when I first came to the Irish Baptist College. It was uh, very much a a hot topic for students and um, a lot of the students came with their their minds made up as to Mm. what was right and and what was wrong. There were some who uh, were sort of more open and um, you almost had two camps Mm. among the, the student body and at times that was a little bit unhelpful. Yeah. Um, today, I think it is, as, as you say, uh, less important in the minds of, of some students, um, but it needs to be uh, studied and looked at very carefully. You yourself will know that there's really no consensus on this one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, if I can go back to one of my major influences, uh, Tom Schreiner here, just listening to him recently um he said uh something to the effect that you know monday to thursday i lean toward one particular view and then for the rest of the week i tend to lean toward another view <laughs> and i haven't quite made up my mind and all of that is to say that you know someone of his standing is still struggling yeah uh, with it and uh, i guess it reminds us you know of the words of paul First Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see through a glass darkly, mm. but then um, face to face. So uh, having said that, I think some things are clear. Obviously, God is sovereign and will work out his plans and purposes as he chooses. Mm. And um, that's very important and included in that uh, plan. And as part of his purpose is the return of Jesus. Uh, a second time, um, for me, uh, I think what's really important is that the uh, the doctrine of Christ's return should motivate us in, in at least two ways, and Scripture bears this out. Uh, first of all, ethically, mm. and secondly, evangelistically. Mm. Uh, I think ethically. Uh, first of all, um, if you take a text and maybe just turn to it, uh, if we have time. Yeah, go for To do that, First uh, John chapter three. Um, I think is helpful uh, for us in this one. Uh, so, First John chapter three, two. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Many people stop at that verse mm. and don't read on. But uh, if we do read on verse three and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so you have that ethical aspect being brought Mm, into play as we think about uh, the coming again of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And in terms of the uh, evangelistic aspect as well, the evangelistic motivation, I would turn to a passage like Acts chapter 1, uh, 6 to 11, where uh, the disciples uh, see Jesus ascending into heaven and uh the angel says well he's going to come back again and and so forth um get on with doing what he has said you you should do Mm. (laughs) and that is the task of being a witness uh, for the lord jesus christ so in in studying this whole question of eschatology and i know that we're just sort of focusing on one particular element here the return of the lord jesus christ and not as much Wider than that. Uh, nevertheless, um, uh, this whole area of doctrine, I think, should motivate us in terms of uh, ethics and uh, evangelism. Um, and and for me, uh, I think that's an important aspect to um, highlight. Mm. Um, of mm. course, when we think about eschatology, it isn't just limited to one or two books of the Bible, such as Old Testament Daniel or New Testament Book of Revelation, but it's running throughout the whole of the Bible. And I think yeah. Christians need to appreciate that mm. and, and, and and see the whole picture of it. And sometimes mm. we just narrow it down uh, to certain parts of the Bible and even further to certain texts mm. of uh, the Bible. Um I suppose the other thing I'd want to say is this, uh, because we don't have time to go into too much detail on this, but I don't think that we should make it an issue uh, for fellowship, uh, you know, to hold a particular view, Yeah. uh, as is the case with some church groups. Mm. Um, I don't think that's helpful Mm. at all. Um, I think we can... Agree to disagree, yeah. At the same time, hold on to the the main thing, and say, well, you know, if this is what we believe, what effect should this have on our lives? Yeah, and uh, particularly approach it from that angle.
0: Yeah, I think that's really helpful. I think that revolutionized my thinking on it, especially talking about uh, you've you've highlighted the ethical implications that are always tied to it, tied to the eschatology and end times uh, throughout Scripture and Christ's return and. First time I saw that and that twigged with me and that really helped me. Um, I suppose it helped me f- not fear digging into eschatology mm-hmm. because the, the purpose of it's not to figure out the right answer, but to have um, an impact in the present. And one of those impacts is then how we live. And um, I think that's been really helpful and a good recalibration for me and kind of thinking about end times. Um, so that, that, that's great. Thank you, Peter. Yeah. Okay. And um, you you teach um, on the book of Acts, you, you uh, teach uh, a full module here um, at the college on the book of Acts, and um, one of our listeners has highlighted uh, something which is, I, I think, quite interesting, and I'm looking forward to, to hear, hearing your answer, Peter, um, but they've highlighted that Luke does not record any baptisms in the first missionary journey, uh, which can be found in Acts 13 and 14. um. And they've asked why. Uh, now, uh, I'm not sure you can dig into Luke's mind um, from this distance. <laughs> um, but are there, are there any things you'd like to point out or any ways you could help us think about that um, in terms of the first missionary journey and uh, the lack of baptisms recorded for us?
1: Yes. And I mean, I think what we're, we're thinking about here um, are chapters 13 and 14 of Acts. I think from time to time we do get questions, Davy, about this as to why a particular writer doesn't mention this or that Mm. at certain points in their book or in in the letter that they're writing. Um, I think it's helpful to say that before reading any book of the Bible, we need to know uh, what the book's about, why it's written, how Mm. best to approach it. And so if we just take Acts uh, for a moment or two, Um, I think the first thing is this, that the book of Acts is really part two of a two-volumed work Mm. by Luke, of which volume one is the gospel according to Luke. And it's unfortunate that because of the way the canon is set up, uh, we've lost the literary linkage between Luke and Mm -hmm. Acts. Mm. So we've got John um, uh, there in between the the two books, but the two volumes make up one story. Mm. um, And we need to keep that at the forefront uh, of our mind. And incidentally, um, just to uh, go off on a wee bit of a tangent, um, it's interesting to uh, note that uh, Luke has contributed something like twenty seven percent of the New Testament, which is more than Paul and more than John. So more than a hundred verses, more than Paul Mm -hmm. has written. And when it comes to John, more than 700 verses. (laughs) Well, you can think about that one. But what's the the purpose of Acts? Um, The the core purpose is stated for us in Luke 1.4. And that core purpose is assurance. Mm. Assurance. Assurance about the Christian faith. Now, in, in the ancient world, It's not what's new in the religious world that's really important, unlike today, but what's old, what's been time-tested. So what Luke does is to show in his two-volume work that what happened to Jesus is part of the program and plan of God that goes right back to old promises. So Luke is seeking to establish, if you like, the pedigree of the Christian faith as being rooted in the plan of God for a long time. Going back to the covenant commitments made to Abraham and to David and to the hope of the new covenant as well. So these are things that really drive the narrative yeah. and that's not always appreciated when we read the book mm. of Acts. And there are two things that are particularly surprising in all of this that I think we need to uh, bear in mind. The first is this, the death of Jesus as the Messiah. And the second thing is Gentile inclusion. So if we just think of the first one uh, very briefly, first century Jews weren't thinking in terms of a dead Messiah,
0: Mm.
1: but in terms of an all conquering uh, leader and they needed to come to terms with this. And then secondly, this idea that both Jews and Gentiles would be part of the same sociological group. That was a surprise, (laughs) uh, given the centuries of hostility Mm. between Jews and Gentiles. But Luke is certainly seeking to defend the idea of Gentile inclusion and show that it too was part of God's plan all along. Going right back, as you will know, to the Abrahamic Uh, covenant. So uh, what's it about giving assurance about these things? So it's important to keep in mind that when we're reading Luke Acts, that Christianity is something that's old, uh, that a suffering Messiah was part of God's plan all along, as well as Gentile inclusion. And all of these things fit into what we're dealing with here. Mm -hmm. Whenever we are reading Luke acts. Mm. Now, whenever you come to the first missionary journey, as we we like to call it, you'll observe that really a large section of the the narrative is given over to Paul's sermon, which he delivers in the synagogue at Antioch in Pisidia, Pisidia, which really highlights what I've been saying. Mm. He's wanting to communicate. Uh, these things uh, very clearly. Now, so if we put that to one side now as sort of a context here and a filter for us to help us read Luke Acts and particularly Acts here. Um, It's not that Luke doesn't say anything about baptism in Acts because we know that he he does and he mentions it uh, quite a number of times. But it's not the main thing. It's not the main thing. And sometimes it will take a bit of a back seat, depending on, Luke, on what Luke is wanting to emphasize in any mm. one section of the book. There are, of course, many references uh, to baptism in Acts. And we'd start particularly with Acts 2.38, where Peter Mm. says to the crowd on the day of Pentecost, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then later on, verse 41, So those who received... His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 baptisms. So there you've got 3,000 <laughs> baptisms uh, taking place, which is a lot of baptisms. But, um, you know, there are certain parts of Acts where it's not explicitly stated that those who come to faith in mm. the Lord Jesus Christ are baptized. Not just in Acts 13 and 14, but in Acts 17 as well. You think of the Paul's second missionary journey to Thessalonica, Mm. to Berea, his work in in Athens, Mm. an absence in those places as well. So were they not baptised? Where it isn't stated explicitly, uh, we can assume on the the basis of previous references and other references that it did in fact uh, occur. And I think one of the interesting things is this, that uh, Luke really doesn't need to record it every time. (laughs) He will assume that his readers have got the point. So it's not necessary for him to always repeat it. Mm. Um, He's looking at bigger things, at other things, as I've already said. But when you do look at the references to baptism, and, and this is important because it goes back to that um, paradigmatic verse in Acts 1 and um, verse 8. You'll be witnesses in uh, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you can see how the gospel uh, moves uh, towards different Uh, people groups to Jews, Samaritans, and to Gentiles. So in Acts 2.38, we've already uh, looked at and Luke emphasises the point that the Jews on the day of Pentecost were called to be baptised and were baptised. Then when you come into chapter 8, Luke highlights again that baptism takes place, verses 12 and 36, but this time to Samaritans. (laughs) And then when you move into chapter 10, and we're thinking about Gentiles, uh, several references there uh, to Cornelius and his household being baptised as well. Mm. So really, Luke is covering all the bases. (laughs) <laughs> at different places yeah. and saying whether it's jew whether it's samaritans whether it's gentiles they were all baptized okay. and he doesn't need to uh say after every story where someone yeah. is coming to faith or a particular group are coming to faith that they were baptized he said enough to show that the reader can assume that they uh, were and um uh, of course, we have to remember, in addition to those things, that he only had so much space to work with mm. uh, when he was writing um, the second volume. I mean, mm. these scrolls came in a certain size yeah. and he has to plan this whole thing out. Mm. But as I say, he, he's looking at bigger issues here. Mm. That's not to say that the, the subject of baptism is unimportant. Clearly, it is important when you look at how many times he makes reference to it. Yeah. But um, keep in mind uh, that the core purpose of uh, Luke Acts is actually assurance. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Acts is, is not, and neither is Luke, a manual for church order. And for practice, some people might like it, <laughs> might think it should be that and would like to think that it's that. But um, in actual fact, um, it's not. Luke has intentionally shaped his stories so as to achieve his main
0: purpose. Yeah. And we have to keep that in mind when we're reading through Acts. That's really enlightening, Peter, and uh, great example of, of the importance of interpreting smaller portions of Scripture within their larger contexts, um, given their their books or, or even the the author uh, and what else the author has written as well uh, within Scripture. So that's great and really helpful. Um, one last question, and I think this question is probably a little bit easier because it's hypothetical, <laughs> but. Uh, Peter, if we were to give you um, unlimited time and resources, what academic work would you love to produce? Um, What, um, In your imagination, what would be your magnum opus, uh, Peter, if you had the, the time and the opportunity to write?
1: Well, I'm actually glad you answered that because I'm going to go back to a previous question and say that I just want to finish off my one true interpretation on the End Times movie and (laughs) I'm looking forward to you writing the foreword for me on that and hopefully that will be published very shortly. Well, we'll all be delighted whenever you give us the answer (laughs) in book form, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, no, uh, on a more serious note, I I think if I had more time and the opportunity to do it and unlimited resources, I would be particularly drawn uh, to uh, explore some uh, thematic studies in okay. the New Testament, uh, particularly um, in the in the general letters. I mm-hmm. think uh, more work needs to be certainly done there. Um, so themes such as joy, mercy, peace, Holy Spirit, faith, so on, and um, to produce something there that would be um, uh, of a standard that is. Uh, A good academic standard, but also accessible to Mm. uh, the ordinary Christian person as well. And would benefit from that. Also, um, uh, I'd like to go back and explore in more detail uh, some of the doxologies that are recorded um, in the New Testament. And uh, think a little bit more deeply about... um, just how they're, they're shaped, what they're teaching, and how they apply uh, to believers today. So, those would be two areas I think that uh, mm. I would certainly like to spend time exploring.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, I'm sure there are plenty of people who would enjoy reading some of that. So, perhaps someday you will get the opportunity to do that, and uh, we would look forward to it. Thank you. Um, Peter, thank you so much for your time, um, not just this afternoon, but also in preparation for um, today, um, preparing uh, answers for those questions. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Irish Baptist College podcast. Uh, the college is committed to training men and women for gospel service, uh, both here in Ireland and across the globe. And if you're interested in preparing for ministry, at a theological college that is academically rigorous and vocationally focused, then I want to invite you to explore the opportunities available to study theology at the Irish Baptist College. Uh, And you can do that by visiting irishbaptistcollege.org to find out more. I'm also delighted to say that the college is now open for applications for September 2022 and I would be delighted if I were to see you uh, in September commencing studies with us.